0: we are talking today about money. Jesus talked a lot about money, and I know when we talk about money in church, people think, ah, that's the only thing they ever talk about in church. Well, not true, but money and how we relate to money is a very spiritual subject, and it has a big effect on our spiritual lives, which we're going to see, which is why Jesus talked so much about money. And, uh, you know what? People have resisted what Jesus has to say about money since the beginning. In fact, Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that uh, after one particular parable about how God's people should relate to money, uh, we the Pharisees, now these are religious leaders in Jesus' day, the most uh, strict, sanctimonious religious people in Israel. They believed that they were the ones who were truly pleasing God. We read the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus. They did not like what Jesus had to say about money, and so their defense mechanism was to mock him. Ah, what does he know? That's stupid. We don't have to listen to him. We don't have to do what he says. And why did the Pharisees not like what Jesus has to say about money, and why do so many... People in our churches not like what Jesus has to say about money. Well, because the Pharisees were lovers of money. And they had had worked themselves up a religion that allowed them to feel good about themselves spiritually. Oh, man, God must be so happy with us. And at the same time, love their money. And Jesus was popping their theological balloon. They did not like it because Jesus said, you cannot... Love both God and money. Love of money, love of God, mutually incompatible. Those are exclusive, mutually exclusive loves. Boy, the Pharisees did not like that. Uh, Might I suggest to you that Jesus probably has a challenge for you today about how you relate to money because uh, we live in a culture that does not, in many ways, doesn't think about money like Jesus does doesn't relate to money the way Jesus does. And so we, you know, what is Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Our theme verse for this series is, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We will, unless we are actively being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by exposure to the word of God, we will think just like the world does. And that that will absolutely be the case for money. And so... Uh, let's choose, right right now I invite you to choose not to be stubborn like the Pharisees, not to put up your defenses, but to say, all right, Lord, I want, I want to be healthy in my finances, just like every other area of my life. And if that involves correction and change, I'm willing to do that. So we're in a series on uh, titled Transformed, How God Changes Us. We're looking at seven areas of our life. God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be healthy in all areas of our lives, and he'll help us be healthy, but, you know, we've got a part to play. Are we going to put his teachings into practice? Are we going to keep in step with the Spirit? And we've already looked at five of these areas. If you missed them, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. I encourage you to do that. Today, we're looking at financial health and next week, vocational health, and then we're done. Each year, the American Psychological Association does a survey on stress in America, how stressed out are Americans and what's stressing us out. And in in this year's survey, the 2022 uh, Stress in America survey, 65% of Americans self-reported as being significantly stressed out about their finances, which means the majority of Americans are not financially healthy, even if they've got a padded bank account. They might have a lot of money in the bank, but if you're stressed, significantly stressed out about your finances, you don't have financial health. And so we're talking today about how to be financially healthy, and uh, some of that has to do with good money management. In fact, that's predominantly what Rick Warren talks about in our uh, journey groups this week. So I encourage you to be in a journey group on... uh, talking about this uh, series, and he's going to be talking about six principles of, you know, basically good money management that come from the Bible. Um, but so it's, in part, financial health is how you relate to money, um, how you handle your money, but it's also your attitude to money, right? A lot of people have a, uh, a bad uh, or a, an unhealthy attitude toward money. So how to be financially healthy. To get at this, I want to ask, how do we get financially sick, right? What makes us financially unhealthy? I want to talk about three things that will make us financially sick, and then uh, that will be the way we get at how to be healthy. Number one, first thing, most important thing that will make you financially sick is a love of money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. A rich man was once asked, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. We always need more. Uh, Why? It's because when we look to money to provide what only God could provide, satisfaction and security, we'll always be left wanting more. Uh, Because we think, well, maybe just a little bit more will give me that security that I really need or the satisfaction that I'm really wanting. And you won't get it from money, so you're always left needing a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God and money. You can't love them both. You can't serve them both. You can't be devoted to both. You can't trust in both at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. You've got to choose one or the other. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, the people of God have always struggled with putting their eggs all in one basket, right? From long before there were Christians, you know, the Old Testament saints, uh, they struggled with what we call syncretism, they wanted to worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the other gods too. Why? Because Yahweh will give me what Yahweh gives me. But if it's not, you know, all that I want, well, I can always whip over here to Asherah, Kamash, Baal, and, you know, they'll give me what they give me. And by serving multiple gods, I can I can create the life I want. I can get what I really want. Well, that's the same tension. That's the same uh, uh, temptation that money offers, so what is money? Why would a Christian be tempted to serve money? Money offers power, power to buy, help, buy insurance, buy pleasure, buy prestige and and money offers the illusion of control. If I have a whole pile of money i I have control over my life to some degree, right? I have power to shape life the way I want it. And so if I have God, if I'm like a Pharisee, I'm like, man, I've, I've got God and this, this relationship with God and God will give me what God gives me. But if he doesn't give me everything I want, well, I've got my big pile of cash and that big pile of cash can, buy, can make up the difference. But I'm still in charge of my life and I get to shape life the way I want it. And that is an affront to God because God says, I want to be the one who's in control of your life. And I want you to depend on me and trust me to provide you the life that I have for you. But man, oh man, oh man, it is so hard to put all our eggs in one basket and to let God have true, total control of our lives. Can't I just have, you know, God and money well, God actually lets a lot of his people get rich, but if, if they're relating to money as a way to control their lives, to have power over their lives, and not have to be fully trusting God, then it becomes idolatry, then it's a big spiritual problem. See why Jesus talks so much about money? Because money really is the, uh, the substitute to fully trusting God. Money is the substitute to truly trusting God. So, how do we slay our love of money? We slay it by learning to be content with what God gives us and by giving sacrificially. Hebrews chapter thirteen five: keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If I said to you, keep your, your yard free from chickweed, what would that involve? Not a one-time plucking of those darn chickweed, right? <laughs> it's an every year thing, and it's all summer long. They're pernicious. They're so frustrating. And, and uh, that... That's the same thing with the love of money. It's constantly trying to percolate up in our lives. It's, trying, it's constantly trying to take over our lives. And so we have, to, we have to be intentional and constant at working at keeping our lives free from the love of money and be content. Contentment is, the, is one of the antidotes to the love of money. Now, contentment flows from two things. First off, Contentment flows from trusting God to take care of me. You know, I need my pile of money because I don't know what the future entails, right? I don't know what I might want in the future, and I, might, I don't know what might come into my life that I need to, you know, deal with. And so I need money. Well, what if you just trust completely in God for your future and to take care of you? Therefore, Jesus says, Matthew six thirty-one. therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? That's Old Testament language for unbelievers, non-Christians. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Philippians four nineteen. and my God will supply every need of yours according to... To his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Bible promises that God will supply, supply your needs. And it actually says, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The basic necessities, God will provide them for his people. But I think the tension is maybe not so much that we fear we won't have the bare necessities... What about all my wants? What about all my desires? God doesn't promise he's going to give me all the things that I want in this present age. That's where my pile of money comes into play, right? God gives me my, my he meets my needs, he gives me my bare necessities, and then I, re- I, I reach for my pile of money to provide for my wants, Will we trust God to take care of us in the future? You look at your life and you say, I know God has taken care of me in the past, and I know He's taken care of me now, but what about, there's faith. Will I trust God to supply my needs? Well, what about all these wants I have? We read this in 1 Timothy 6. 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, this is the same author who said, I have learned in all situations therein to be content. It was something, contentment was something Paul learned. He didn't, he wasn't born with it. Now, I look at this and I say, is that really true of Mike? But if Mike has food and clothing with these, Mike will be content. (laughs) Is that true of me? (laughs) But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. The desire to be rich is dangerous spiritually. Dangerous spiritually. Fortunately, I've never had that desire. Oh, I have. uh, The love of money has keeps flaring up. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, in other words, you, you don't need to do this, and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, the craving to be rich, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains, the desire to be rich, if you allow that to take over your heart and your mind, and you entertain that desire and you let it grow in your life, it has led real people away from their faith in Jesus Christ. It has shipwrecked them spiritually. That's why Jesus talks so much about money. It's a big spiritual issue. The alternative alternative is trusting not in money but in God to take care of you. And here's the second uh, source of contentment Uh, a submission to the will of God for your life. God will give you what He wants you to have, what He has willed for you, what He determines is best for you. Will we really be content with what God ordains for us? You feel the tension here? I mean, I feel this. The, the the tension in my own heart, just like you do. Am I really now? Um, content, sacrificial giving. Here's the other way to slay, uh, to slay the love of money. Give sacrificially. See, when you give away money, you're giving away power. You're giving away control. And if you give enough money away, you throw yourself fully on the mercy of God. You make yourself fully dependent upon, upon God. When you give away money, you give away power, and that is hard. That's very hard. And Jesus tells, um, actually it was the, Mark, the gospel writer. Mark t- tells of an encounter Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, you know, how do I gain eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments. He says, I've kept all the commandments. And then we read this, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. In other words, Jesus, I, I think Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to tell, tell him the real hard truth, the, the thing that is tr- really keeping him out of heaven. He said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I'm willing to do a whole bunch of stuff. But sell, give up all my power, give up all my control, give that all away and just throw myself fully on Jesus can't do that. I can't put all my eggs in one basket. I don't really have that kind of faith. Now, I I wonder, if Jesus has said, sell 50% and give it to the poor and come follow me, what do you think his answer would have been? He had great possessions. 50%? Okay, that still leaves me quite a bit to control my life. What about 90%? Maybe he would have even done 90%. Okay, it still leaves me some power, some control. It's the 100% that got him. He couldn't do it. There's another story of Jesus at the temple, and he's watching people, and they're putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Right, They're giving to God. Lots of people give out of their abundance. And so, you know, the actual bag of money is significant, but they got a whole lot more at home. And then there's the widow who has two little mites. She drops them both into the offering box, and Jesus says her gift in God's economy is, is the greatest one given today. Why? Because she, she went all in. She cast herself fully on God. That it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. How we deal with our money is a heart issue. Can we really live a life that is truly dependent upon God, truly submitted to God, uh, for, to God and God's will for us? You cannot be financially healthy if you love money, period. The second thing. The second thing that gets in the way of people being financially healthy that makes people financially sick is poor stewardship of the resources God has entrusted to us. We don't own anything. God owns everything. We are stewards. God, God entrusts to us some of his stuff, time, talents, treasures, everything we have. Very breath we breathe is a gift from God, and he says... I'm going to someday hold you accountable. I will ask you to give an account to me for how you leveraged my resources while you were on earth. And Jesus talks a lot about, hey, you might want to, well, not just might want to, you want to. (laughs) You want to live your life in such a way that you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? You took what I gave you and you made a good return on it for me. And so I'm going to give you even more in heaven. So three poor stewardship moves we need to avoid. Number one is laziness. Proverbs 24, 30, I passed by the field of a sluggard. Sluggard's a lazy person. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. God says, I will supply all your needs. How do you think he wanted to supply the needs of this sluggard? Through the vineyard, right? You have a vineyard. I gave you a vineyard. Work the vineyard. And if you work the vineyard, you'll have, you won't have poverty and you won't have want, But because of his laziness, he's dependent on some other industrious person of God having compassion on him and writing him a check, and that's dishonorable. Now, it's good for the person who's generous. That's good for their own soul. But for the person who takes when they could have provided for themselves, that's dishonorable. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, there's a big difference between you could work. And you, but you're not willing. And some parts of the world where people want to work and they can't—big, big difference. But if you could work and take care of yourself, but because you're being lazy, uh, that's a problem. For we hear that some among you. So this is Paul talking about Christians in the church. We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. No shuts. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Don't be living off the church's dole. Don't be walking over to other Christians with your hand out. That's shameful. God has given you the resources to take care of yourself, take care of yourself. In fact, you should, uh, elsewhere in the Bible it says, I want you to work so you have more than enough for you so you can go be generous. That's what God wants from you. So, no laziness. Number two, living beyond our means. Proverbs twenty-one twenty: Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwell, dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Everything they have, they're they're. they're Living right up to the edge. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. God does not want you living life on credit. If he wants you to have it, he'll provide the money to buy it. It's that simple. If God wants you to have it, he'll provide you the money to buy it. If he hasn't provided you the money to buy it, does God want you to have it? No. No. You want it, you're not willing to trust God, and you go out and you enslave yourself to another person. And God, who does God want you to be a slave to? Jesus. Jesus, and only Jesus, amen. Do not fund your life by going into debt, period. Uh, that is an act of unbelief. You are saying to God, I'm not content with what you are providing me, and I'm not going to accept my lot in life. Now, if you want something, pray for it, work, save. Right? And and God uh, my my uh, buddy Chris Kefalos, he says he often I, I often hear him praying, "God, thank you for providing all that we need, and you also pray, you also give me a whole lot of my wants." And that is true. It, you know, what I find is that you know, God is not miserly with his people. And the, the fact of the matter is he, he is so generous. And, and so often the people of God are just uh, awash in their wants, their wants being met as well. And we just say, thank you, Lord. You're so generous. Thank you. Thank you. But we have to have a heart that says I'm willing to trust God with uh, whatever his will is for me. Also, God does, so. God does not want you to be indebted. So if you, are, if you owe money, pay that off. Pay your creditors off because they have power over you. One of the things we mission agencies talk about is how many people come to the table saying, I want to be a missionary. I feel God is calling me to the mission field. And they say, well, look, you're in tons of debt. You can't go in the mission field until you get your debt paid off. Well, how am I ever going to get my debts paid off? That'll be years. Well, you don't want to be in a position where you can't go do what God's calling you to do because you've indebted yourself to other people. You see, when you, when you owe people money, they have power over your life. And, and it could even get in the way of you doing what you think God wants you to do. Don't be lazy. Don't live beyond your means. And uh, the, the, the final stewardship mistake is to fail to give God our first fruits. Proverbs 3:9 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. First fruits. In harvest you have kind of the first fruits, you gather them and then a little bit later comes the main harvest. Well, if you give God your first fruits, what happens if the hail comes or the frost comes or the army invades? I won't have anything. Well, God told his people, you give me the first fruits and I'll make sure the hail and the frost and the army doesn't come and you will have your needs provided for test me in this. Well, but that's the Old Testament, right? That was a promise to God's people under the Old Covenant. Well, uh, here's Luke 6, New Testament. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your life. Lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Note that last statement. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So if you give to God with a teaspoon, God says, Can I borrow your teaspoon? There you go. And if you give to God with a big shovel, He says, Can I borrow your shovel? Right? Now, we got to be, again, we got to be careful here because If the goal of, if the heart added, if the motivation of giving to God is so that you can have more money, so you have more power, so you have more control, we got a problem. But what if you're saying is, God, I'm going to be a good steward so that I have more to give away, I have more influence with which to do good things in this world, then that's noble. you will be financially unhealthy if you love money number 2 if you're a poor steward of what god has already given you and number 3 by saving in the wrong bank or saving in the wrong place matthew 6:19 don't Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's true. Uh, I I notice this when I invest in stocks. Right? I don't care about Walmart until... I've invested some money in Walmart stocks that I'm very interested, right? This last week I invested in Uber. Now I want Uber. Everybody should take an Uber right? No, I'm just kidding. Right? So uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And Jesus says there are basically two banks. You can save, you can put your treasures in the bank of earth, or you can put it in the heavenly bank. And guess what? The earthly bank... You're, you put treasures there, it's at risk, and it's temporary. Eventually, this will all go away. Up in heaven, it's not at risk, and it's not temporary. It's eternal. Jesus says, you want to put your treasures up in the heavenly bank. Much better investment. Now, in Luke 16:9, Jesus says this, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. I love this. Use your money to buy heavenly friends. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Um, you can use your money, your unrighteous wealth, by unrighteous, he's just saying, you know, just your earthly possessions, to make friends. And those friends are going to be in heaven. And when you get there, they're going to say, hey! Welcome, we've been waiting for you. Who's going to be in heaven because of the way I spent my money? Who's going to be in heaven because of the way I spent my money? Now, we've got to... in. in We've got to move away from a sense of, oh, it's sin or it's not sin. You know, it's morally right or morally wrong. I I like to think about this in terms of opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. Jesus has entrusted us with time, treasure, and talents. He has given us the, uh, the choice to spend that however we want. So we have the choice. And we can spend it in a way that is storing up treasures on earth. Right? Buying the fancy espresso machine. I own a Pasquini, by the way. And that cost me some treasures in heaven. Uh, you, you can use your time, treasures, and, and talents to enjoy this the stuff of this world. And that's not morally wrong. But it might be Foolish and short-sighted, or you can you can use it to invest in heaven to have an eternal impact. How do we have an internal impact? By influencing people for Jesus. Things that matter, the things that last are people, right? People and their relationship with God. And and so. God has given me a limited amount of resources. How am I going to uh, use those resources? That's my choice, and I can I can choose to spend that towards heaven. And so it's an opportunity cost. Every time I choose to use my time on, for earth or my treasure and talents on earth, that's an opportunity cost that I'm I'm choosing not to store up in treasure or, or treasure in heaven or the other way around. Now, the most obvious direct way, you know, the easiest way to think about is ooh, reaching Indians Ministries International. They're planning, training missionaries, planning churches in India. Pff, write a check, help fund them. Clear. Uh, but what about what about things like, oh, you know that there's a uh, a Christian movie that's coming out. And so you tell your friend, hey, I want to take you to dinner and or, or I want to take you to a movie and afterwards I want to take you to dinner. It's all on me. And, it, it, and you tell them what the movie is and and they say, yeah, okay. He's paying for this. This should be fun. Or maybe you say, uh, listen, I want to take you to Simon & Seifert's. I'm going to pay for it. But and I, I want to share, when we're there, I want to just share with you uh, about my faith in Jesus and why, why uh, that matters to me so much. And they're thinking, I don't really care about that topic, but Simon and Seiferts, yeah, I have been there for a while. And, uh, or, you, or you do, you know, you intentionally throw a big uh, barbecue in your backyard and er- each year and you invite your neighbors and it costs you money and you use fine food so that each year they say, don't miss that one. Uh, and but you're built you're using it to buy influence in people's lives. All right? Use your money to buy influence so that you can point people to Jesus Christ. And and so I just tell you those little things so your imagination expands. It's it's not sure. Clearwater Church, we love it when you write checks. Awesome. We do our we work hard to try to invest those for the kingdom. But there are lots of ways. Uh, lots of very creative ways you can leverage what God has given you to advance the kingdom of God to store up your treasure in heaven one more little story Uh, so Sabrina and I met this couple when we were in India uh, Sajin and Lousy, and they are Indians uh, missionaries in in India and they're from India Uh, and so Sabrina keeps in pretty good contact with Lousy, and every once in a while we'll hear about some financial need they have. And you know, to us, with the Western economy and money, it seems small. We're like, hey, we can help with that. And for them, it's like a massive need we've just met. Well, then, what do they? We find out they pray for us constantly, and we've had this with multiple people when we've been generous with them, and then we find out, you know, oh, we regularly pray for your family. We pray that God would bless you because you are so, you know, been such a blessing to us. What would you pay <laughs> to have people regularly praying for you and that God would bless your family? Hello, that's, that you know, that's worth a whole lot of money, and, and that's not what I do, do it, but man, that's a a definite blessing. And I'm always... I, I'm shocked when people do that for me, and I think, hmm, that's, that's pretty darn good return on investment. I, I think we have this verse. I want to end with this, uh, this verse, and then I'm going to ask some questions for us to just ponder privately. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Uh, you might want to write this down. In fact, I kind of think this, this, this verse summarizes so well what we've been talking about. 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So first off, notice Paul's reminding. There's this present age, and then there's the age to come. And this present age is temporary, it's short, but it influences our experience in the age to come. Also, he is saying... He assumes that some Christians are rich. He doesn't say, "Tell you know, God might tell you individually because of your own heart condition, sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me." Maybe that's God's, you know, requirement for you, based on your. But that's not what God requires from for every Christian. Um, So some Christians are are rich charge them not to be haughty don't be proud nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches see the danger what am i going to trust in what am i going to hope in but on god set your hopes on god don't be proud don't think that your money makes you special or gives you you know some kind makes you a better person put your hope on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy see there i think he god does provide not just our wants. He so often just provides us with, with uh, so many of our, uh, our needs, but so many of our wants too. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, right? You got the money? Use that money uh, to be generous. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves, obviously, in, he- in heaven as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Um, if you, yeah, if the Lord, you know, one of the things the Bible says is that he who is faithful with little is, is given more. And that principle, you know, whatever the Lord has given you, don't say to yourself, I'll be generous once I'm making some more money. I'll get out of debt once I make my more, some more money. I'll right? uh, I'll tie then. No, you do it now. And you show the Lord that when, that you can be faithful with what he has already given you, then he'll give you more. And why? So you can be more generous. All right, here are some concluding questions. Um, I encourage you just close your eyes, quietness of your own heart. I'm going to read these questions. And then I know the Lord has, you know, something he's going to Um, just working with you on so here they are am I content with what God has provided me am I trying to serve both God and money how much do I rely on money to buy me the life I really want Why don't I give away more money? How would I respond if God asked me to sell all that I have and give it to the poor? Am I lazy? Am I living beyond my means? Am I giving God my first fruits? What percentage of my money am I using to buy treasures in heaven? Will anyone be in heaven because of the way I spent my money? Lord, we choose not to ridicule you and your teachings about money, but to hear and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.